The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle on WKNC FM Raleigh. It's April 13th. The time is 4.04. And on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. I'm Erthodonna Storg. And I'm Nick Weaver, bringing you Eye on the Triangle on this unreasonably cold Wednesday afternoon. Or I guess it's a little bit warmer today. For today's Eye on the Triangle, we'll be bringing you a look at the events in the week ahead with the Community Calendar by Peter Suzanne. And Jake Winters brings you Snowverated. This week he reviews the film Contact. As always, Nick Weaver brings you the Modest Mouth Review. This week he reviews You're Doomed to Be Nice, an album by Rob Crow. For weeks, House Build 2 has put North Carolina in the national spotlight. From prominent musicians canceling North Carolina concerts, to even President Obama calling the law mean-spirited, everyone has had something to say. Mirtha Donastorg examines the backlash to the bill from the very first protests to Governor McCrory's most recent executive order. But first, we have this North Carolina news update from Kevin Cronk. And the news beyond the headlines with Saif Hassan. Thousands of North Carolinians are addicted to prescription painkillers, and as new laws limit their prescription and availability, opioid addicts are turning to the street drug heroin to feed their addiction. Dr. Chris Flanders works in the emergency department at Mission Hospital in Asheville. We're seeing far more folks coming in with heroin overdoses. Over time, what's happened is the cost of pain pills is more than the cost of heroin. That's a big part of the driving force behind this trend. According to the North Carolina Department of Public Health, the number of heroin overdose deaths increased by more than sixfold in the past 15 years. In 2014, the most recent data available, more than 28,000 people died nationwide. Because heroin addiction is often the result of someone looking for an opioid after a prescribed painkiller is no longer available, some medical experts are exploring other pain management options that are non-addictive. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, North Carolina is only one of 12 states that cut mental health funding in this budget year, slashing it by $110 million. Flanders says a lack of mental health support, as well as addiction programs, is propagating the issue. One thing that's glaring is the huge lack of treatment facilities 
and huge lack of funds for treatment facilities statewide. Substance abuse along with mental health has been steadily defunded by our state legislature over the years and we are reaping the consequences of it. However, on Monday, Governor McCrory announced that his proposed budget for next year would include almost $30 million for people with mental health and substance abuse issues. This money would go towards drug courts, recovery programs, putting a life-saving overdose drug in pharmacies, and more. For Eye the Triangle, I'm Kevin Cronk. Programming on WKNC 88.1 is supported by Learfield Sports and WKNC's broadcast of Wolfpack Baseball. Follow the Pack 9 as they face opponents from across the ACC and make their way down the road to Omaha here on 88.1 FM and on Twitter at NC State Baseball. The complete schedule of Wolfpack Baseball games is online at gopack.com. WKNC would like to thank Learfield Sports for their continued support. FM, WKNC, Raleigh, the revolution, the revolution, the revolution, changing the way you hear music. I'm Saif Hassan, and this is your News Beyond the Headlines. A strong earthquake has struck Myanmar, with tremors in India and China sending residents out into the streets. The 6.9 magnitude quake took place at a depth of 84 miles northwest of Mandalay. Casualties have been reported in northeast India. Tremors are relatively common in Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. An Associated Press news agency reporter in the city of Yangon reported seeing a seven-story hospital shake during Wednesday's two-minute quake, causing staff and patients to flee the building. Many of Myanmar's outlying areas have inadequate communications and infrastructure, including the area where the earthquake hit. The Chinese official Xinhua News Agency said strong tremors had also been felt in Tibet, with many residents of Lhasa drawn out in the streets. The quake was also felt in the Bangladeshi capital of Dhaka, 300 miles from the epicenter and in the Indian city of Kolkata. Similar shaking was experienced in the Assam capital, Guwahati, where wall-mounted TV sets at a local station were reported to have been sent crashing down to the ground. An earthquake measuring a magnitude of 6.7 hit northeast India in January near its borders with Myanmar and Bangladesh, killing at least nine people. In March 2011, at least 75 people died when a powerful quake hit Myanmar near the borders with Laos and Thailand. Moving to China, a judge has ruled a gay couple cannot register as married in the country's first case of its kind. Sun Wenlin and Hu Minglan filed a lawsuit against Changsha city authorities after their application to register a union was rejected. In January, a court agreed to hear the case, a first in China. China does not legally recognize same-sex marriage, but there is growing awareness of LGBTQ plus issues. On Wednesday, there were cheers for Mr. Sun, 27, and Mr. Hu, 37, when they entered the court from hundreds of supporters who had gathered outside. Authorities allowed about 100 of them inside the courtroom. The case, however, was argued and decided within a few short hours. The judge was quick to reject China's first legal argument in favor of gay marriage. But many gay rights activists see reason for hope. The fact that the case was heard at all was a reason for optimism. The hearing itself was held in an unusually large courtroom with uncharacteristically light security outside. The demand for gay rights is certainly part of the national conversation in China. Just last week, a mass social media campaign in which gay people pledged not to yield to the pressure to marry straight people attracted more than 1.5 million views. 
China's legal courts are slowly moving, but the court of public opinion is still in session. The couple's lawyer, Shi Funong, said he had expected the judgment to go against them, but not so quickly. It goes against the spirit of the laws of the People's Republic of China, he said. Mr. Sun said he would appeal against Wednesday's court decision. The two men had tried to register their union in June of last year and filed the lawsuit in December. Mr. Sun said police had visited him after he filed the case to try and persuade him to drop it, but he refused. The original text of the marriage law does not say one man and one woman, but a husband and a wife, he said in an interview with state media in January. I personally believe that this term refers to not only heterosexual couples, but also same-sex couples. I'm Saif Hassan, and this has been your News Beyond the Headlines. Protesters were lining the sidewalk in front of Governor McCrory's mansion just one day after he signed House Bill 2 into law. They were chanting and holding signs. One protester was even dressed up as a dinosaur and had a sign that said, Bigotry is so prehistoric. Connor Regan, a sophomore at NC State, was at that early protest. I don't, I don't agree with this bill at all. I think trans people should be able to go to whichever bathroom that they identify with and I think it's ridiculous that they're being forced to go to the one that they are like we're born with. But other voices have been making their opinion heard in support of the bill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. On Monday there was a demonstration on the steps of the Capitol building. Hundreds came out holding signs that said no men in women's bathrooms and keep women safe. In response to Bruce Springsteen canceling his Greensboro concert, one North Carolina sheriff had this to say. Since the boss won't sing for us, I'll sing to you. Got along without you. Before I met you, gonna get along without you. When the bill was passed, it had support from Republican and Democratic legislators. One of the Democrats who voted in favor of it is Representative Ken Goodman. I am Representative Ken Goodman. I represent District 66, which includes parts of Scotland, Hoke, Richmond, Montgomery, and Robinson County. He voted for the bill because of the provision that has now made HB2 infamous throughout the country. He says he thinks his right to privacy supersedes the right of transgender people to use the bathroom they choose. But he didn't agree with all parts of the bill. There was a non-discrimination policy in the bill that that prohibits discrimination based on race, gender, national origin, you know, the usual things that you see. And it excluded sexual orientation, and I think when we go back in the short session, we ought to look at that. But that wasn't the only part of the bill changing anti-discrimination law. Under HB2, if you feel that you've been discriminated against, only a federal court can hear your lawsuit. Something Governor McCrory is trying to fix now. Yesterday, McCrory issued an executive order that clarified the bill. The order also encourages the members of the General Assembly to restore the ability of North Carolinians to file a discrimination lawsuit under the state. In a video posted on his website, McCrory explained it more. I will immediately seek legislation in the upcoming short session to reinstate the right to sue for discrimination in North Carolina state courts. 
McCrory's announcement to backtrack on one part of the bill came on the same day that Deutsche Bank announced it was stalling plans to expand and carry because of HB2. 250 jobs may be lost. Deutsche Bank is just one in a string of companies that have pulled out of North Carolina in the weeks following the signing of the bill. According to WRAL, Wake County alone is estimated to have lost over $700,000 in economic benefits. And counting. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Yertha Donestorg. Hello, this is Jacob Winters for Eye on the Triangle. This is Snow Verated, and this week I will be taking a look at the film Contact. Many movies fantasize about the contact with an alien life form. To name a few, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Interstellar, and Avatar. These are some of the best, in my opinion. This movie asks questions about religion and how it would affect such a meeting. This is brave and not something you usually see. Many movies won't take a step in this direction for fear of alienating their audience. Contact discusses religion in such a way that it doesn't. They ask questions that many have wondered about religion. Are the gods some distant interpretation of aliens? If we find alien life, should we tell them about our religion? Is religion a representation of our race? Can someone who is not religion represent us in a meeting with aliens? This movie doesn't shy away from these questions. It takes on all interpretations of the questions equally, although the main character is an atheist, but you see resistance from the opposing sides. The story is mostly about the science of finding such a discovery, as well as how such a discovery can be funded, and just how hard it is to fund unpromising research, even when that research may be the most important to ever be done. I think this field of astronomy is extremely important, and by showing what it could lead to, this movie has the potential to inspire generations to more strongly consider astronomy as a field of study. This encouragement of scientific discovery is great. The movie also questions how technology impacts our world. Is it a good thing that we continue to advance our technology? Does it really make us happier? It never truly answers these questions, but just by asking them, it can spark new ideas and questions in its viewers. Contact asks its audience to think. It gives you questions and theories and asks you to seriously consider the effect of science, government, and religion on our world. What is the right path? It may not be possible to truly know the right path, but asking the questions is still important. Along with government, science, and religion, love is something that also connects all humans. Love is universal, and it is what you might say makes us human. We have the capacity to love. The motivation of love from our birth to death is what drives us. We love our work, and we love our family. Otherwise, what is there to life? You can see how love impacts all of the characters in the movie individually. Unrequited love, new love, and the love of a father to a daughter. The love of science and of God drives the story. Along with all of the messages about government, science, and religion, this movie takes the time to consider love and how important it is to our drive. Not only is the message a great aspect of the movie, but the way in which these messages are worked into the story is fantastic. We get a backstory for the main character showing her drive is love, and then we get to see her struggle to see this love through. She struggles against government, religion, other scientists, and seeing her love of science come out on top is great. The end is anti-climatic only if you do not realize that the story's goal is to see this love through. It could be said that this purpose of the movie is not obvious enough, but I think that a movie should leave its purpose in a bit of a haze. If you can place many meanings onto a story and they still fit, it just has all the more total meaning and can be even more influential. There are many great shots in the movie. There is a theme of mirrors that I found really interesting and creative. 
One of the shots is almost unexplainable and is almost a reason in itself to watch the movie. The style of shot comes back in the story to highlight the defining moments of the character in her life. There is CGI in the story, and it isn't the best by today's standards, but it's not overdone. There's a green screen moment I think that could have been done without, but in 1997, it definitely could have been overlooked by audiences. This film stands up to the test of time alright, but if they had used less CGI, it may have been even better. I'm going to give this film a 9 out of 10. It sends so many messages without getting caught up in one or the other, and also never paying too little attention to any one. The story is captivating and thrilling, and the cinematography is put to good use throughout. I really enjoyed the movie while I was watching it, and even though it is rather long, I never felt bored. This is the main thing that a movie needs to do, and so I think it did a great job. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Eye on the Triangle and Snowverated. You can watch this movie on Netflix or rent it from Amazon or Google Play. Have a good night. Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle, and you are listening to the Modest Mouth Review. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with great honor that I announce that today's album for review will be You're Doomed, Be Nice by Rob Crow's Gloomy Place. Why is that an honor, you may be asking? After all, I'm sure none of you are actually familiar with Rob Crow. Not because I'm some kind of music elitist, but more so because he's one of the most niche artists I've ever encountered. So, to answer to your confusion, the reason why this is an honor to me is because Rob Crow is the mastermind behind the musical duo of Pinback, another incredibly niche band who just happened to be one of my favorite artists of all time. Which is bizarre, considering how all the other names at the top of my list are all big-name bands like Radiohead, Modest Mouse, The Strokes, etc. Yes, right up at the top with those guys is my little niche favorite, Pinback, starring Rob Crow in all of his brilliant glory. But there's more to why this is an honor than that. To explain it fully, I'll first ask and answer my favorite question at the start of every review, which is, Who is Rob Crow? To start off, I'll say that there is an incredibly long and fascinating answer to that question. But since this is a music review show and not an artist history show, I'll keep it simple. Rob Crow started off in San Diego, California in 1994 with the small but heavy-hitting indie rock act, Heavy Vegetable. They released one album that year, and then immediately after that, Rob Crow released a sort of solo project in 1995 under the title Rob Crow and Fantasy Mission Force. And then in the same year, he released a second album with Heavy Vegetable and then joined Remote Action Sequence Project as a guitarist for their debut. See where this is starting to go? From there, the projects just kept expanding and growing, all with pretty much little to no success at all. All of his indie projects stayed pretty much tiny up until we hit Pinback. Founded in 1999, Pinback released their debut album, This is a Pinback CD, that same year. The group's primary members were just Crow and Armistead Burwell Smith IV, who grabbed their name from a character in John Carpenter's 1974 flick, Dark Star, itself a niche sci-fi film. Pinback would slowly grow over the years to about moderate success, finally reaching their peak in about 2007 with their album Autumn of the Seraphs, which charted at no 69 on the U.S. charts. Prior to this, what little national success they'd had was thanks to some of their songs being featured on the OC and a few other places. The reason Autumn of the Seraphs hit so big was due to one track on the album in particular being featured on an episode of How I Met Your Mother, resulting in a pretty sizable growth in audience. That track was called Good to See, 
which, odds are, you've probably heard before on Pandora or Spotify Discover. For reference, I'll play a little bit of the song in the background. This was about the highest point that Pinback ever reached, and even then, most people still don't have any clue who they are. Even fewer know who Rob Crow is. And this is where the amazing part is. Despite never reaching that sweet, sweet spot of critical success where you occasionally hear about the band in similar circles of music, let alone going mainstream, Rob Crow continued year after year collaborating, writing, and just in general being a music-making machine. On his Wikipedia page, there are over 54 releases, including albums and singles, credited at least in part to his name. Furthermore, the amount of projects slash bands he's been a part of is also astounding. To name just a few, he's been a member of Heavy Vegetable, Physics, Optagonally Yours, Thingy, Advertising, Alpha Males, Altron Tube, Cthuga, Fantasy Mission Force, Holy Smokes, The Ladies, Other Men, Remote Action Sequence Project, and Goblin Rooster. That last one's not actually Goblin Rooster, but the actual name is obscene, so just imagine the less polite way of saying Rooster. In addition to performing in and leading many of these bands, Crow has released a plethora of albums under both his own name and the moniker of Snot Nose. The amount of work he's released is insane. And on top of that, he's never dropped in quality. Every single one of his projects has kept the same level of brilliance throughout the years without fail. In specific, every Pinback album too has been just as good, if not better, than the last. So now you understand that Crow really is a truly talented guy with an insatiable passion for music. Which brings us back to the topic of Pinback, Crow, and why this is an honor. As approximately none of you know, or at least I'm guessing none of you, Pinback's most recent album was way back in 2012. In 2015, where many of us Pinback fans were expecting an announcement regarding the release of a new album, instead came the announcement via Crow's Facebook that Pinback was officially dissolved, and that he would hereby be quitting music in hopes of pursuing a more financially stable life. The news was devastating to all 30 of us Crow fans. Well, there's more than that. At any rate, we're passionate about him. It was as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I feared something terrible had happened. And then very late, last year, in around November or December of 2015, comments began appearing from Crow. The legacy would continue. Having taken some time to relax, recompose, and put himself into a better place mentally, Crow decided to continue making music. While Pinback will stay dead, Crow's other ongoing projects will continue. But there was further excitement. Amidst the joy of knowing that Crow was not disappearing forever, there was a greater, even more exciting announcement. On March 23rd, Crow was releasing a brand new album with the self-titled band to continue where Pinback left off. That album is what I'll be reviewing today. So now you understand, hopefully, why this is such a huge honor for me. Even if Lord and Savior Crow has not personally blessed this review, it is still huge for me to be able to share this album with everyone listening and to be able to share my praise of such a magnificent and magnanimous musician. So without further ado, I'd like to talk now about the album itself. As I said before, You're Doomed, Be Nice is essentially a continuation of Crow's work with Pinback. I'm not sure if he actually said that or not, so don't quote me on that, but the sound and style of the album is very much similar to that of Pinback, mixed with Rob Crow's previous solo work as just Rob Crow. 
On top of that, he has a very signature Rob Crowey sound that sort of follows him throughout all of his projects. You can pick out just about any Crow song by listening to the song structure, guitar, and vocals, usually because he was in charge of all three. Anyways, the first song off of the album is coincidentally the second single and is entitled Oh The Sad Makers. Its placement as the first song chronologically was a great choice, as I feel it sets the tone for the rest of the album. To describe the genre of this work before I get too much further, Crow has typically been associated with indie rock and math rock. I'd say this album is primarily straightforward indie rock, but the math rock definitely bleeds into it a little bit. It actually features pretty well throughout the album in the guitar section. A signature of Pinback and Crow, staccato guitar and unconventional rhythm pepper each song just enough. Never too much, and only occasionally too little. Back to Oh, The Sad Makers, though. This song clearly defines the tone of the album, starting out. An upbeat rock song, it features a very lightly distorted chorus of guitars as background instrumentation and syncopated drumming to highlight the smooth but exciting vocals of Crow himself. Every instrument is layered in such a way that the song never becomes a homogenous mess, but also never feels disjointed or sloppy. It's kind of like when engineers do that stupid game where they balance things on top of each other at weirdly beautiful angles that seem like they should be impossible to balance. It's incredible just how well it works. Then, just as you fully started to appreciate the way the instrumentation accents itself, in comes the heavily distortion-laden, passionately sung-slash-shouted bridge. A sharp interjection of hard rock blended perfectly with math rock, weaving its way into the song quickly but with the efficiency of a smart car avoiding highway traffic at high speeds. And just like that, the bridge fades out, leaving a lingering pause before the next one starts. It's so cool. Like, at the start, everything seems okay and happy. It's just you, Crow, and his bandmates rocking out to a fun, happy song. And then, things get tense, and you're left wondering what happens next. Enter the song This Distance, a slower, more intense, half-mass, half-indie rock jam. The split is pretty even here, about 50-50, and right away the guitar is kicking. The thing about Crow's guitar is that it doesn't need to use fancy slides, crazy tricks, or what have you to be impressive. It's that fusion of math, rock, and indie, combined with riffs that frankly you've probably not heard anything like before, that make the songs so enchanting. And it doesn't stop there, no. The guitars are always layered to accent each other, with every layer adding a beautiful mixture of complexity and mystery to the song. At first glance, the songs all seem like typical indie rock fare, but look only a little bit closer, and you'll find so much more. That's why I love Crow and his albums so much. Back to This Distance. The song opens up into a much more straightforward indie rock song during the chorus like a parting of clouds. It seems like we're in the clear. The song is yet another laid-back happy rock song. But ah, think again. The verse and bridge come back seamlessly to remind us to be on our toes. Something's out there. And guess what it is? The first single of the album and the third track, Business Interrupt Us. This song is upbeat but with a hard edge. At first, it seems like you're rocking along with the song, like you've got a connection, but something's not right. The guitar, aha, reminiscent of a jester's jig. Before the lyrics even start, the song already plants the image of a fool in your mind with a catchy, mischievous riff. Following suit, Crow begins to sing about your foolish actions, chiding you for hypocrisy, among other things. Only three songs in, it's already clear that the album wants us to be on our toes. It's never going to let us just assume one way or the other where a song is going to go. It's unpredictable, uncontainable, and I love it. And that's only the first three out of 13 total tracks. Well, 15 if you count the bonus tracks, which you should, because they're amazing. My point here is that within the first three tracks, the album has proven itself to be an evolutionary piece with complex musicianship, instrumentation, writing, and song structure. Not to mention lyricism, though that one's harder to appreciate since basically you're SOL if you want to find the lyrics online. 
Of course, the genius doesn't stop within the first three tracks, though the first four are my favorites, along with bonus track one entitled Bam Bam and the track Rest Your Soul. Let me reread that whole thing. Of course, the genius doesn't stop within the first three tracks, though the first four are my favorites, along with bonus track one entitled Bam Bam and the track Rest Your Soul. You're Doomed, Be Nice is an incredibly compelling album which manages to be both consistent and moderately diverse. Solid guitar and instrumentation are present throughout the album, along with Crow's signature vocals and evocative songwriting. There just isn't anything more I can say. I love it to death. Now, with that said, as always, no album is perfect. And indeed, this one has its quirky little flaws, but they're really barely noticeable for fans of this type of music. In specific, Crow uses primarily the same type of FX for the guitars and vocals throughout the album, and the bass work can at times be negligible. Not on Business Interruptus, though, of course, which has a sick bass lead, but at times it can go by the wayside. Does that make the album less enjoyable? Hell no. Well, no, for me it doesn't. But for those of you who may just be getting into this type of music, I expect that you may find Crow's style to be slightly repetitive on first listen, and probably, again, from then on, if you're just plain not a fan of the style at all. But for those of you that can dig deeper, I guarantee that you will find something to enjoy. Listen closely. The glory of the crow is in the details. And praise be given as well to Crow's bandmates on this album, at least I'm assuming he has some. He may not, I actually can't find their names anywhere online. So I guess just praise be to the Lord and Savior Crow. For my final rating, on a scale of negative 2 to 7, I give this album a perfect 7. I am definitely biased in that regard, but I honestly think that this is one of my favorite Crow projects in years, as well as one of my favorite rock albums in years. Definitely best of 2016 so far for me. So, what would I like to see from Crow in the future? Honestly, just keep making music, man. I don't care what comes out as long as it comes from you, Rob. But more importantly than that, do right by yourself. If you gotta tone it down for a while to be able to keep going, God knows I of all people understand. No matter how long I've got to wait for the next Rob Crow album, I will, so long as it means that we get to keep hearing the genius that is you. Consider this album a tribute to you, Rob Crow. Fame may elude you over the years, but sheer brilliance never will. Keep doing you, buddy. That's all for me today. And for next week, something completely different. As most of you know, this typically is an indie rock album review show. As of next week, however, it'll still be that, but I'll be doing a new rotation. Starting next week, we'll have Mike and Shep of one of our favorite local bands, Vanilla the Hun, to give us a brief interview. Hopefully, anyways, assuming the scheduling works out. If it doesn't, keep your eyes peeled for the week after. Then after that, it'll be back to reviews and then another interview with a different band after that. Or just summer break, seeing as I'm going home for the summer. But either way, I'll be doing things a little differently from here on out and into next year. So look forward to it. Till then, in the meantime... You can always send in a review request by tweeting at WKNC underscore EOT or by emailing publicaffairs at WKNC.org. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time.
Good afternoon. This is the Community Calendar, an Eye on the Triangle segment informing you of cool events occurring on campus or around the Raleigh Dorm area for the upcoming week. First up on the calendar are a couple of events for Earth Month, which is through the Sustainability Office here on campus. Park Shops will be hosting an event called Compost Shampost. Here you can learn the dirt on decomposing from the world's renowned expert Rhonda the Worm Lady Sherman, who will lead an interactive presentation and introduce you to ways to get involved with compost on campus. This event will be held from 6 to 8 in Park Shops Room 215. This Friday, there will be a Green Brick Awards Recognition Breakfast. This is a celebration on campus sustainability achievements and the year's most outstanding contributors to advancing sustainability at NC State. This event will be 9 o'clock in the morning on Friday and held in the Witherspoon Student Center Room 126 and you may register at sustainability.ncsu.edu. And next Monday, Monday, there will be a campus sustainability tour from 4 to 5.15. You just need to meet outside of Fountain Dining Hall. You may learn about the university's efforts to make campus more sustainable in this unique walking tour that includes solar installations, composting and recycling locations, and LEED certified buildings. Again, this tour will be next Monday, April 18th from 4 to 5.15. So those are a couple of the Earth Month events through the sustainability office. Now to backtrack and cover some of the other events that are occurring this week. There will be a very interesting presentation held in Park Shops this Thursday evening. It'll be titled Religion and Politics in America and Across the Globe Perspectives from Leading Analysts. You may join them for NC State's first impact of religion lecture for a discussion between two leading analysts of religion and politics whose work shapes the opinions of government agencies, elected officials, and the general public. The guest speakers are Dr. Robert P. Jones of the Public Religion Research Institute and Douglas Padgett of the U.S. Department of State Office of International Religious Freedom. They gather and analyze data, advise policymakers, and educate the public about the role of religion in global events and demographic change. Discover how experts assess religion in the public sphere, how religion in America and across the world may transform in the near future, and what religious change means for our lives. Again, this event will be in Park Shops, Room 210. It'll be held for from 4.30 to 6 this Thursday and is open to the public. Later next Monday, the Tally Student Union will be hosting Hugh Gutterson, Professor of Anthropology and International Affairs at George Washington University. He will deliver a special Rolf Butchdahl lecture on science, technology, and human values. This lecture is part of the Secrecy and Intelligence Opening the Black Box Coequilium being held from April 18th to the 19th at NC State. This Rolf Butchdahl lecture be held from 7.30 to 9 on Monday evening and is open to the public. And with that concludes this week's community calendar. I am Peter Swazeni, wishing you all a great week ahead. I'd like to thank Saif Hassan, Kevin Kronk, and Jake Winters for contributing this week. As always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. 
And be sure to check out our blog and podcast at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week, Wednesday, right here on WKNC. But you can check us all out this Friday at Fridays on the Lawn. This is going to be WKNC's last Fridays of on the Lawn of the semester. And oh, so sad. So sad. Ian, uh, who are we going to be listening to on Friday? We will be listening to Wei Das, Brown Widow, and Healthy Pup. Ooh, and I heard that Neomond is going to be catering. Do you think that's... Are you excited about that, Ian? I'm excited for that. I just had Neomond uh, not too long ago, and I am excited to eat more. Um, And this is dog-friendly event. A dog-friendly event. Bring positive vibes. Bring pals. Brings your pups. I Dogs like. are both welcomed and encouraged. So come on, chill with the Eye on the Triangle team and the WKNC gang. As well, we will be having a record swap. You can sign in in advance on the Facebook page. But for Eye on the Triangle, I'm Martha Donisdorg. I'm Nick Weaver. And I'm Ian Grice. <laughs>